Welcome to the Gotta Pop podcast. My name is Buddy Gott, and I'm the founder and chief editor of Plethora of Pop, which can be found on medium.com or on plethoraofpop.com. On this show, I'll be talking each episode about new and classic things I've been enjoying from the worlds of music, movies, television, books, and some other things too. Sometimes I'll have guests on the show and sometimes I'll be doing them by myself. I thank you very much for joining me today and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. My name is Buddy God. Welcome to today's episode of Gotta Pop. On this show, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite musical acts ever, and that is Daryl Hall and John Oates. I've been a fan for a long time, and my guest has also been a fan for a long time, and my guest is a great guy named Dave LeGates. Welcome to the show, Dave. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy. Oh, my pleasure. I'll just tell uh, my viewers and listeners how we met and that was actually in a hall and oats uh fan group back on yahoo which mm-hmm. was at least 20 years ago i know in 2003 i was in there i think it was a little more than that mm-hmm. and uh, i don't know how uh how many people remember those groups but they were a pretty popular thing back in the day were those groups. yeah the, the the yahoo news groups kind of thing that would be and you would just get an email reminder of what the latest message was it was pretty pretty barbaric in 2023 terms but you Very. know back then <laughs> it was yeah but back then it was it was the it was the way to go and it yeah was. and it got very lively it was but we had it yeah, we yeah. met in one group that another guy had run, and then I started up one. I think you ran mm-hmm. it for a while with me. Or I mean, then Susan yeah. Wright was with us. Susan uh, was running. with us, yeah. And a whole bunch of other people whose names I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, it got lively. I mean, we would get into talks about albums, yeah. and, and if they were on tour, we'd talk about that. And uh, yeah. people get into favorite and least favorite songs, and sometimes that would right. get into a debate. There right, you moment. never knew how it was going to spin. I mean, one day to the next, it, it could it could take off on a different it could take off on a different tangent out of nowhere. But you know, it, it was interesting that way, and there were some real characters for sure. There were definitely a lot of characters, and uh, well, I, I don't think I have to really tell anybody who's listening or watching this who Daryl Hall and John Oates are. They are. I, I would think the mo- the most successful musical duo ever. I know Simon and Garfunkel mm. may have ha- held that title for a while, but uh, yeah. if they're not the most, they're one of the most successful. Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of chart success and as far as sales success, but I would say they match up both of them. So yeah, they probably are the most most popular for sure, the the biggest of all time. Yeah, and I've run into. Uh, uh, in the uh, places I write music articles online, which is mostly on medium.com, I'll see uh, younger writers and readers there who are just in their early 20s. And almost everyone knows something like Maneater from the 80s. You know, I think uh, the younger generation is uh, most familiar with those songs, probably, and maybe a handful from the 70s. It's- it's all right. I mean, you know what they know. What they, you know, if they know anything at all, it's heartwarming. I mean, it really is to know that we've passed something on to the next generation. Of, you know, that embraces them. You know, and they continue to grow an audience. You know, uh, through the years. But, you know, you go to a Hall and Oates show today, and you know, it's a huge, huge demographic. I mean, you know, you would be shocked at who's there, who knows the songs. Um, 
and it's it's really it's really a nice nice environment for sure if you see one it's it's tremendous yeah, it is. And I've seen both Daryl and John talk about their audiences and how, you know, it's a thrill for them to see even grandparents there, there with their grandchildren at the hey, shows, right, right. Which, which is understandable because, I mean, their first album, we're going to maybe we're going to go through, we're going to cover just to let people know what we're doing. We talked about the fact that we wanted to talk about Hall & Oates, but we figured we would focus on the 1970s. Because 19, yeah, the 1980s is when, you know, they hit it big on MTV and that brought them to a whole new level of fame that they had not experienced quite to that degree in the 70s, oh, even though they'd already been recording for like 10 years before MTV came around. Right. And, and you know, these songs are, are really, you know, they went through the trials and tribulations of Hall and Oates the first 10 years. Fans think it was a very instantaneous you know, thing for them. It was far from it. It was far from a it. lot. Yeah, it was a, a real toiling project uh, through those first 10 years, uh, trying to define them, trying to define their their sound, uh, you know, really a, a true, a true bottom up, you know, searching for yourself kind of kind of thing. They really had to tiptoe into fit into finding their, their, you know, what what was the Hall and Oates sound? Oh, they really did. And that's for, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dave. Um, oh, that's it's for multiple reasons, too, because, mm -hmm. you know, they had, uh, yes. they had problems with record labels. They had switched mm -hmm. labels after their first, mm -hmm. I think, three albums. And then, yep. of course, they uh, were switching the musicians that they played with. A lot of times they had producers, to deal with studio musicians. Switch, yeah, yeah, producers. And uh, well, you know that what? we'll get to, I'm sure. Yeah, that's one of those yeah, well, things. Well, why don't we start with the first this, yeah. album then? Sure, we'll go to... Good old Hall Oates, you know, 1972. That's right. Um, yep. Atlantic signs the boys, okay, to, you know, to their first uh, record deal. They had already made a, well, they had already gotten taken by by another producer who, uh, oh, who yeah, made that's a bootleg. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but Hall Oates, is, Hall Oates is their first official Atlantic signs them, and they assign, uh, signs them, and they assigned the great Arif Martin to their, to produce them the first time around and he has he struggles finding who they are i mean he yes. he yeah right away he he's a little confused by them but but um they brought some old songs with them and what have you and and it's interesting because there's a for guys who prided themselves on a motown kind of thing it, it was a little it was also a little country a little bluegrass a little bit of everything mixed into it it was quite a fusion of different things it, it really was. Uh, there was, like you said, there's a little bit of everything on there and you had some rock and roll on there, but like, you know, mm -hmm. and, and what I love about some of those first albums by them is they've always been partners, but I think especially back then they, they wrote more songs together yeah. and you heard a little bit more of John Oates back then, mm -hmm. uh, not yes, just in did. lead vocals, but they did a lot of back and forth in the harmonies and mm -hmm. songs. And, and you hear that right from the beginning on the opening track, I'm sorry, which is one of my mm -hmm. favorite songs yeah. on the album. There's it, some uh, yeah. good songs on this album. There's really, really I actually, good songs. Uh, yeah, I, I, one of the first things I wrote on medium, it was on, probably about two years ago was an article just on this album. And, um, uh, Probably a lot of the music listening public isn't familiar with this. There's very little of no. this that gets played on the radio. No. 
one that I knew from the radio before I owned the album was only because of where I live. I live in northern Delaware, which is about 30 minutes from Philadelphia. And there's a song on here, a great slow song called Fall in Philadelphia. And yeah. inevitably, when September rolled around every year, you'd hear at least one of the stations in Philly really? playing yeah. this song regularly. The funny thing about Fall in Philadelphia is that it's it's kind of a credo song, Apollonosis. It's one of those songs that the, that fans wrap themselves around and totally embrace because we know the story, okay, mm -hmm. behind it, and we understand, you know, this is what this is what one of the things they were going through. They were living in beat down places. They were living in, you know, rather, you know, rather rough rough environments for sure. And you know, but it's kind of a song that's kind of it's almost hard to share with a with a a run-of-the-mill Hollow Notes fan or a non non-regular fan. It, it's one of those songs that really the, the the fans have taken to heart through the years. And we sort of yes. keep it to ourselves in a way. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That's it's not shared well, you know, it doesn't share well. And, <laughs> that's <laughs> and so true. Now when I've tried to share some of these songs with some people, yeah. they'll be like, oh that's nice. And they might yeah. like it a little bit. But I think right. uh I think like the first couple albums, are, um, probably a, a good chunk of the stuff that came out in the 70s, it's uh, the diehards are the ones who, you know, just just love it. And yeah, it might be harder for others to latch on to. But I think once people, if the people gave the things a chance, you know, I think they'd fall in love right. with it. Well, I think that as time went on, especially, I mean, I, I think about how like a, a lot of people I know who are genuine people who define themselves as rockers or even a, a, a Grateful Dead kind of fan or what have you would embrace these songs a little bit better than say what the 80s became and that's kind of when people think of Hollow Notes that's what they think of but if mm -hmm. they had heard these songs I, I think their opinion would be a little I have played Hollow Notes songs from the 70s and what, what have you for people who and I didn't tell them who it was and when you when you do tell them who it was, they're blown away. They're they're yeah. they're shocked at who it is. Yeah. Um, my one of my favorites of this is, is definitely "Good Night and Good Morning." Um, oh yeah, it's, yeah. And and uh, uh, Cecilio and Capono, the Hawaiian duo, uh, remade a beautiful version of this. And really? I uh, yeah yeah, and uh, it starts, it's easy to find. And in fact, um, Daryl uh, when they when they do shows in Hawaii, Henry brings uh henry up henry capono up on stage and and does it with him oh and, wow um yeah and uh easy to find on youtube it's it's out there i'll and, look for um, that yeah and it was a it was a song i used on one of my i, I hold the hardest one i used it on uh one of my granddaughter's birth videos so it was really you know it was kind of the kind of the theme and backing to it and so i have always held that one to heart but i gotta say probably my favorite song of whole oats is lily are um, yeah. yeah, it is. A, a, first of all, Daryl's voice in this song is this is where you really get your first honest to goodness taste of that guy's range. Yes. I mean, you you really feel the heartfelt soul energy through through his voice. You see where he's coming from. You know, you know, you know why they wanted this guy. You know what I mean? When you hear that song and, you know, not only that, it's, you know, it's a very, it's a very sad song too, but, um, but to me, it will always be the one that sticks out of this album for me, for sure. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's, it's an amazing tune. Um, what, um, what was, what, what's, what's another one for you that you, you feel like 
Well, I, I want to hop on board. A, uh, I was going to say I want to hop on board a Lily, but that's that, that does not sound good. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to oh. agree with you about Lily. Oh, Are you happy? Yeah. That yeah. is such a yes. fantastic song. That's one yeah. that I wrote about in that article. And really? highlighted yeah. because I agree with you. Daryl's vocals on that are amazing, and John's vocals yeah. I think are exceptional. Yes, he on is already there too. Yeah, they they didn't yeah. miss a trick in that song. No, so. that one wraps up the album, and I think it was a perfect one to cap the album off with. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, gosh, there's so many good songs on there. Uh, another one that I like a lot is, and this is something I wanted to bring up uh, when yeah. talking specifically about the first few albums is that back then, I mean, they've always been storytellers. But especially on the first few albums, and I think on several of the albums in the 70s, that you'd hear more and more stories in some of the songs. Like, and for example, yes. there's one on here called Georgie, which is quite unique. Yes. Yeah. Um, about, uh, you'd have to hear it, folks. I, I, yeah. I, I encourage you to look it up, but it's, it's a song that uh, you think is just going to be a sweet song about two kids, but actually there's a tragedy that is sung yes. about in there. Yeah. And it's... Uh, it touches your heart and not just through the lyrics, but also through Daryl Hall's vocals in that. That's a fantastic song. I love it that. It really is. And yeah, and you kind of wonder where their, where their characters of the time came from. But, you know, you got to remember, you know, these, these guys, you know, when fame does what it does, I mean, they, you know, they became more reclusive as time went on. But, you know, back in the day, they were out and about in the public and, and, you know, venturing amongst, you know, the crowds in Philadelphia. They met a lot of different people that probably found their way into these early songs that were really interesting characters. And I, I think that that probably, you know, comes out very clearly, certainly in the first three albums, I'd say for sure, the Atlantic year, the Atlantic years, for sure. I, I, I see that more than anything, really. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you about the Atlantic albums. And uh, any other songs on there you want to specifically call out as a favorite? Um, Water Wheel goes back to, I think, the, the um, back to that uh, pirate album that I think they brought it. I think they brought that over from there. They were able to steal it back and use that. Right. That was a, that was a wonderful piece. There's, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's no real throwaways in this, in this group. There's, there's, you know, these are good songs. A reef just wasn't sure how to bring out the best of them in that, but they're raw songs. They're very, you know, they're not overproduced. They're, they're, you know, uh, very, you know, very raw emotion, very raw sounding. Uh, and you know what though, you know, we wouldn't want, when we look back on it, we probably wouldn't have wanted any other way. So, right. And, and you know, it's, I wanted to touch briefly upon what you just said, the pirated album. There are multiple albums that have been yes. released over the decades. Uh, sometimes they're even called like the best of Hall & Oates or Hall & Oates, the early years. And it's from music that was really recorded before their first album came out. Right. And I'm not really that familiar with it. I think I've heard a little bit of it that I've a friend had on an eight track tape once and, and I, I think I, I i was kind of trying to avoid it a little bit because i've seen interviews with both daryl and john where they were like oh we wish that stuff wasn't even out there yeah well i i owned one called pastime behind and it oh, was okay. yeah and i think i got it for a dollar 99 somewhere and um <laughs> but it, it was it was a lot of those songs i think lazy man was on it i mean they've had oh, a few okay. They had a few that that found their way into this. They were able to steal their songs, some of their songs back from that guy, and he just would repackage it and and rename it and put a different thing on it when they needed a few dollars, I suppose. And that was how we, you know, 
that was how he uh, did his best to make money off of his brief management of all the others, I guess. Yeah, it was unfortunately a lot of, uh, well, some, some sleazy people in the music industry. And you know what? Sure. You're, you would hear that from you would hear that from a lot of well-known people oh, who yeah. have an album like that somewhere floating in the abyss that probably yeah. they're not happy about. Yeah, especially back then, you know, because you were still yeah. within like the first 15, 20 years of rock and roll, really. So everything was right. new and people were trying to figure out, you know, the end lawyers had to start getting more involved than back in the Elvis oh, days. Right. Well, let's face it. The, the performers just wanted to perform. They they the business end of it, they were lost. I mean, they they had to, you know, and, and as much as, you know, they grew to, you know, have their own uh, indifferent feelings about Matola, you know, he really. And, and there, and most of them were legit. I mean, he really did, uh, in many ways, keep them from, you know, from some real rats. And you know, I think that he probably did his best when it came to that part of the program because he wanted them for himself anyway. So you know, he right. really wasn't going to allow too much shenanigans anyhow. And you said Matola. Is that Tommy Matola? Is that Tommy his name? Matola? Yeah, he was yes. the head of the label, right? He was, their, he was the head of their. Well, he was their manager. Oh, okay. That's right. Tommy Matola was their man. It was their manager, and he was a young guy at the time. He was only about twenty-one years old, and um, I mean, he's really young. I mean, he's may have been even younger than the guys were, and yet he was, you know, very, you know, aggressive, you know, kind of guy. Really wanted to make a name for himself in the record business, which he did. And um, you know, he started. That was his his uh, pilot project was was hauling notes for all the years that they were, yeah. but. Their relationship evolved differently through the years, as you're probably aware, and then um, it, it, things to, change all the time. Yeah, yeah. Not to go too far down a different rabbit hole. Yeah, did, let's, he, let's, did, let's, he, let's... did he? Did he? Did he end up? No, no. I was just going to say, did he end up marrying Mariah Carey? Yes, he did. Oh, okay. Oh, so he's had a horrible life. This guy, right? <laughs> it's just been miserable. He's only worth about a billion dollars now. Okay, and it all started with it all started with all of us. Okay, so yeah. And and um, that album, Whole Oats, it did come out in seventy two, and 72. although it got some traction, especially like in the Philly area where they were getting a lot of you know regional radio play, it wasn't a big hit. You know, it sold well enough that, that you know they kept going. And their next album though was a little bit more successful. That came out in nineteen seventy. Again on Atlantic, and this is—I don't think I'd be too far out of line here, Dave, to say that this is probably a lot of fans' favorite album from the '70s, but of, of Hall and Oates. It's um, a big, big fan favorite. favorite. Yeah, some of their favorite, some people's favorite album ever. Um, yeah, you know, certainly mine. Uh, and you know, you either love you either love this album or you're wrong. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, I I'm mean, not really, wrong. I'm not yeah. wrong. I mean, it's really, it, you know, a reef Martin, again, I think has figured them out and surrounded them with a little bit of a, a better, you know, musician quality from there. I think he, but they brought really great songs into this, into this, uh, into this album. And here it is. It's like not even a year later. I mean, that was how it was back in the day. Everybody oh, yeah. out about every year. Right? Isn't it, it crazy like, now when you see how things yeah, are done when now? You think and... about it, right? You know, but back then, you know, you put a whole, you know, you were done with one album. You did a, maybe a tour while you were on tour. You were working on the next album, which yeah. was, which and that was and, most act, most acts had an album out every year and was yeah, touring every yeah. year, and uh, they were putting out quality stuff. And this yeah. one had so many good songs on it. Uh, there was only one song on it that ended up being a hit, but even that one wasn't a hit until a few years later. Not and right away. Yeah, that song yeah. is "She's Gone." Uh, yeah. It was released as a single from the album, and uh, right. it 
what happened was, like I said, this album came out in 73, but then it was, I think it was after the success of Sarah Smile in 76, the record label, they were on a different label at that point. They were on RCA when yeah. Sarah Smile came out. Which then, is where uh, No Goodbyes comes in later, but that's- Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll talk about that one too. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to Yeah, we'll that. get to that. But uh, but yeah, and, and you know, we'll get back to She's Gone too. We'll, we'll touch back on yeah. that in the 70s too. But yeah. that was that's probably the most well-known song on the album, sure. but there's a lot of fan favorites on here. And uh, do you have yeah, any, you can... any particular favorite song Dave, you could clearly do a whole you can clearly do a whole episode on on just this album. But um, in fact, there is one song on here. You can actually do a whole episode around. And that's the title track, Abandoned yes. Luncheonette. Oh, I yeah. Mean, the, the title track of this song has an incredible history that a lot of people really don't know about. And with a little bit of Internet research, I have found the, the a lot of a lot of information Um about the luncheonette itself and things about the owner and stuff like that. I mean, oh, you wow. know, just just about his life and, and how it all evolved into how it, you know, and and where the guys come in, of course. And uh, <laughs> that you, but it really is my favorite song. When I finally got to hear it live on the um, on the Change of Seasons tour for the first time, I think I broke. Oh it. wow! Um, yeah, which oh was, that's which awesome! Was, I didn't know you oh, saw that back then. Yes, I saw them on the Change of Seasons tour. And um and, and and there was a lot of interesting things on the Davis seasons tour, including Las Vegas turnaround they did as well. But um which is now a regular part of the set. Um that's awesome. Again, that's a great yeah, set. it's good. But they, but you know, I, I I would be I can't find a bad song on this album. I mean, there's nothing I really I mean, I guess I'm just a kid, don't make me feel like a man is a little creepy, but I mean uh, short of that. <laughs> um, you know, it's a it's a little weird, but you know, but it's but <laughs> You know, John does such a beautiful job on it. It's hard. He does, and, and that's kind of that's the kind of thing too that I think may look a little bit more weird through the lens of time. Is that the right phrase? Uh, because yes, you know, even yeah. back then, these guys were fairly young. I can't remember how old. I think they were in their early or mid twenties at the most. Maybe yeah. 20, yeah, and you you're know, still a kid well, a lot in a lot of ways I, yourself back then. Yeah, and you don't know when any of the songs were written. I mean, yeah, some of them yeah. may have been written a little sooner, you know, than whatnot. I mean, she's gone was probably written even be, even while Olos was being made or what have you when they were living on yeah. Quinn Street. If you've ever visited their their uh, their home on Quinn Street, it's it was, Oh no, it's, I haven't. I, I I've been there. It's it's really it's really interesting. Is that Philly it. or is that New York or it's in Philly. It's in Philly. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. South Quinn Street. Can't drive down the street. You have to walk by foot. Oh. And, <laughs> Yeah, and it's painted. The brick is painted on the one that's their place. Okay. Oh wow! It's, oh cool! It's very interesting. And we'll have to meet up there sometime and get a cheese. Yeah, sometime we'll go check it out and get a cheesesteak. Patrick, you know, you you pick. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah, I mean, on here, uh, one of the things I got to say is, you know, uh, "Laughing Boy" is an incredible song. Um, I think it's one of those songs that would speak to the times today. Um, it's one of those, you know, where with mental health issues and whatnot, yeah. where it was, you know, I mean, I it, it's, right. it's, it's songs ahead of its time, I think, in many ways. And you know, if you listen, if anybody listened to it, they could really see that, um, see that that plays deeply into there. Um, you know, uh, when the morning comes is a classic. I mean, it just is. You could you could play you could play that over and over again and not get sick. Yeah. And it's just all so good on this one. It's really. all so good. I mean, one of my yeah. favorite, I, I mean, there's nothing on here that I don't like. And it's funny, this is an album where 
let me see. I guess I got this probably in the late nineties, mid to late nineties. Like when I really got into buying uh, CD copies of things that, you know, were, well, when this originally came out, I was a little kid. Yeah. You know, I think yeah, I was eight, eight or yeah, nine years done. old. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I went through a phase where I was getting every Hall & Oates album on CD that I could find. The only one I can't find is the next release, which we'll be talking about shortly. Uh, but yeah, when I got this, uh, I was probably around 30 and I instantly fell in love with it. But there were some songs that I, I, maybe I didn't love at first, but like, uh, well, you mentioned uh, Laughing Boy. Laughing Boy and the final song, Every Time I Look at You, they took a while to grow on me. And yeah. I think, too, part of that might be the fact that you already had like uh, seven, eight songs before those that were just so good. You know, I would listen yeah. to them and whether I was driving somewhere and then the album would be over, I'm like, oh, OK, I kind of forgot about those like, last two songs. Last two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And every right. every time every time I look at you is a lengthier one, too. That's like uh, just over like seven, minutes, seven long. minutes. Yeah. yeah. It's not a short song. Uh, and you know what? It, it really, you know, even though Daryl does does the vocals on it, you can really hear John's musical influence—the bluegrass, rootsy kind of blues feel to the to the sound of it. It's not Motown by any means. No, and, no. You know, it's it's very, um, you know, it's it's very almost country-like, and um, you know, I, I, that's one of the things I always remember about it the most. And then, you know, they took some liberties with it. It was pretty, you know, it's a, it's a. It's like you said, it was a song that did grow on me too over the years. Initially, not my favorite either, but you know, over yeah. time. I just read a thing today. Um, it was while while researching for the show, I learned a lot of things about the act and their early albums that I didn't know. And mm. appar apparently, uh, Daryl Hall he had said in an interview, I think just sometime in the past 10, 15 years, that he thought that the first side of this album, uh, <clears throat> which was the first five songs, like When the Morning Comes, Had I Known You Better Then, Yes, I'm Reading Them All, Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Turnaround, She's mm. Gone, and I'm Just I'm just a Kid, Don't Feel Like a Man. He thought that was like a perfect side, uh, that he, he was really, really happy with that, how it came yeah. out. The second yeah. side, which contains some of the songs we just mentioned, he said there are some things he wished were a little different with that, and he attributed some of that to the guitarists that they had at the time who ended up producing a couple of albums of them too, or co-producing Chris Bond. Yeah. Chris Bond. Chris, yeah. We'll get yeah. to him. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know a lot about him. You're probably going to educate me. I do. Me, I but... know, I know a little bit about Chris. Oh, Chris okay. Little, I know enough. <laughs> but what, what Daryl said was uh, apparently when they did this album at that point in the early seventies, Daryl wasn't yet, uh, a big fan of the Beatles music. I mean, he liked, the, you know, the popular stuff, but I think it wasn't until later he got into that and really got to appreciate it. And I think more Bond... More soul-driven, really. Yeah. yeah. He was more soul-driven. Yeah, and... um yeah, and I think Bond, he said, Daryl said if he could change anything, it was maybe some of the like more experimental Beatle-y things that Bond did. And I wonder if that might have even been like, every time I look at you might have been one of those songs. Because there's some you know, like... It's yeah, very it's possible. A, I, yeah, yeah, it's very possible. I mean, you know, and and but a reef did an amazing job on this. I mean, it is clean as could be. I mean, as far as this this album goes, I mean, it's it's the production on it is is spot on. You know, the arrangements yeah, are, are just amazing. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I, you know, any any things aside about it are are totally something that like you know you know how like you see something with flaws and it's part of its charm i mean i think that this is probably if there are any on there it would be the case for me i mean that's that's the way yeah. i would feel about it. 
Yeah, oh. it's um, I I still listen to it regularly, and I, I actually just I'm in the process of writing a separate article about that album too that I'm going to publish yeah, on BDM soon. I have I have owned eight different versions of this. Okay, really? Between, well, between losses and you know through yeah. the years and what yeah. happened, and and when the album it took it took forty something years for this album to go gold and uh wow. which was surprising and when it finally yeah. went gold john was very very proud of it and he posted his gold record and what have you and i posted right underneath it i says well i says you owe a lot of it to me i says because i'm in charge <laughs> of eight, eight versions of this right <laughs> oh that's and fantastic and he personally thanked me for that oh that's so cool that's really cool <laughs> It was That's very really nice. cool. It was very nice. I was very proud of that moment. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's funny so, when yeah. you hear. So, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No. It okay. is funny though when you hear that about an older album that you know so well and you feel such a tight bond with to think, oh, that wasn't gold. Oh, that wasn't a hit when it was out. But that album did at the time. It didn't even break the top 100 when it came out. It, it, and oh. the old, the first one that did break the top 100 was their next album, which was War Babies. Yeah, which is which is bizarre, just barely. Yeah, yeah, which I mean, the, the the crazy part about you know War Babies is almost Atlantic's ne next record. But what what I what I find amusing about about War Babies just just to even preamble this is that you know here you are coming off a relatively successful album, mm -hmm. okay, and things are going well. The production is good. You got good. Let's go make an expensive, experimental, <laughs> mescaline-driven album, okay? Right. That was like you know, I mean, it was just you know, how and where, you know, this all, a lot of this came from, but, you know, the crazy part about it is they, they, they fronted and uh, the, you, Todd, Todd Rundgren's the producer and, and they fronted Todd an exorbitant amount of money to, to be the producer. And I, and he used Utopia as part of the backing band of it, which, which uh, I don't, I don't know that you knew that. But, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, yeah. And they were re just recently formed at that point. They I were think. just recently formed. They had just started doing their own stuff and everything. And then, and Daryl, you know, asked Todd to get involved. And Todd said, "Well, I got a new band. Would you like to use them?" And like, but they fronted them uh, out of their Atlantic royalty, sixty-five thousand dollars. Really? And, I wow. And, you know, if well, think about sixty-five thousand dollars back in nineteen seventy-three and four. Okay. I mean that's five houses, three cars, and food for two years. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. Yeah. You know that that's a lot of money. And right. He, he loaded up. He loaded up Todd big time for for this album. And you know Todd's Todd's hand is all over this. I mean it really yeah. is a big part of it. It's a you know in fact I have an entire friendship with a guy over this one album. Okay, which which is you know oh, very wow. strange. But yeah, but but the reality of this album is is you know. There's not a bad song on there, no. really. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're good. You know, there's no money. There's no money songs, okay? There's no. no real good money songs or anything like no, that, which not. is sure disturbing the heck out of Atlantic back then. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you look at this album, okay, there's the, the songs are are so good and you you don't really just, you can't really turn your back on this album because it's yeah. weird. I mean, you know. Yeah. And, What's interesting, I, I had mentioned before that uh, this was one that was that eluded me. If for the longest time, it wasn't available on CD. It was out of print. I found for... it at a tag sale. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. couldn't. I know when we first met in the early two thousands, uh, I would be. I could talk, you know, very fluently with you about all their albums except for that one. You know, I yeah. might. I might have been able to find one or two of them on. You know, I don't even know if YouTube was around back then. I guess they were, yeah, but there wasn't right. much you could find until oh. it became available on Spotify and wow. such. That I think was just in the past ten years. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's really just, honestly, it's just in the past year or so that I've really started listening to it on a regular basis. I'm still, you know, I don't know these songs totally inside and out, but I agree with you. There, There's not a bad song on it. There, uh, there was one single released, and that was the opening track, Can't Stop the Music. He played it much too long, but it didn't do very well. Uh, no, the album somehow made it up to number 83. I think maybe that might have been because, you know, Todd Rundgren was a big superstar then, and I think people were curious about it, and plus people were starting starting to know Daryl and John from the first two albums. A bit, and, uh, a bit. But what are yeah. some of your favorites on there? I, I know you like my them favorite, all. I, I do like them all. I mean, I guess if I didn't like, I guess if I didn't like one, it would be number seven on the tracks. I'm watching you, A Mutant Romance. But my favorite yeah. by far is Screaming Through December. I mean, oh, yeah, that's a great song. My favorite. And I don't know that you know this, but um, Chris Bond is Faustus, okay, um, in the song. Oh. Oh. Yes. Okay, okay, I did not know that. Oh, so, yeah, Chris Chris Bond is is definitely the fine line between manic and calm. Okay, he is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't. I I know very very little about you know yeah, their interactions um, with their. Go ahead. With, with the, yeah, but I can't stop the music. is a is a groovy little tune. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I I love John's voice on it. It's 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 just so. You know, it, it comes out. Uh, it, it was a good lead, perfect lead song for this album. Yeah, I it mean, was. Really, yeah, um, uh, they're uh, all bizarre. I mean, in their I, own way. I like. Yeah, they are. And I think if people, and I think that might have been something that uh, when I would see before I even owned a copy of the album, I would look at the song titles because I could see them online, and I'm like, "Beanie G and the Rose Tattoo." Uh, that's an interesting title. Who and then, thought, right? Yeah, Johnny Gore, Johnny the Gore Leaders, and, I mean, uh, and, and Gore Baby, Son of Zorro. I mean, that's some really yeah. interesting. And, and you and you learned that Johnny Gore and the Sea Eaters is is an actual band that they drove by a marquee. That's right. And, yes, and and it was supposed to be Johnny Gore and the Cheaters, but the H had fallen off the thing. Oh my gosh! The okay, marquee. I didn't know that. Yes, wow. and the magnet of the H had come down. So they're driving by and they're like, "What the heck is a theater?" Okay, so <laughs> that's fantastic. So, I love that. So, so they were a little confused by that, and they had already written a song by the time they left that town about John, this imaginary band called Johnny Gore and the Sea Eaters. Okay, <laughs> and then on the way out of town, okay, they saw that the H was on the other side of the marquee, properly placed. <laughs> Okay, and they were like, you know, if that H was there, there would be no song because we never would have even thought of talking about it. So I want to do a deep but, dive now and try to find out about the actual band, Johnny Gore. Johnny Gore and the Cheaters. We Cheaters. Gotta, we got to find their got to find their work somewhere. It's got to be something <laughs> lingering out there. But uh, "Screaming Through December" is is, is a, apparently a semi real song um, that took place with all of them during the month of December, which is what. You know, they say they never did hard drugs, but okay, I'll take their word for it. Um, you know, I like your much too happen. soon a lot. That's a good song. Much too soon is a really good song. It is. I um, think that would have been a good single release. It would have been a good. It would have been a good single. Better watch. Was better watch your back a single in May? Of I'm not sure. It may have been a minor single. I thought it might yeah. have been. I wasn't sure. Um, and is it a star? Is a really good song. I it mean, is. you know, it, it's it's mellow. I mean, you know. 
you could you could you know probably they'd probably clam bake the room and made that one but you know mm-hmm. I, I don't know it was just it was a really it was a really good song and and johnny gore and the sea eaters is a good way to end this mess i mean it really is yeah just a, yeah it really it is just a, a classic ending to this whole thing um 70s scenario is a very introspective song i mean i i think it's you know they they just clearly you know it's a well-written and and uh you know very clear uh definition of a lot of things that were going on to the times to them and i think that they you know they they verbalized it pretty well and and todd's production on that is is really quite good too i think i mean i you can really you know you he brought he really he really played daryl's voice super well on that you know? yeah he did it. It's nice to know that uh, there's still like a relationship too. I know between, particularly between Daryl and Todd Rundgren, because I, I think they, they open for each other and stuff. Yeah, they yeah. yeah. Todd played Todd played Daryl's house last year, and what yeah, have you. he played the actual Daryl's house too uh, for a couple of nights. And yeah, yeah. That's and pretty uh, awesome. yeah, it really is, and, and it was a good relationship, even if it was a little strange. I don't really think that I don't really think they ever got out of Todd what they truly hoped at first i think yeah it's like you know they they thought he was you know because he was a philly guy they thought he kind of had a philly vibe about him and he probably in some ways did but i mean god's music is significantly different yeah 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 and, and um i was going to say that you you had touched on this a little while ago in that this was they had they had the fairly successful album with abandoned luncheonette and this came out and it was it was so different from that um and very experimental. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you know, I think they had a lot of they had a lot of deal situations like that throughout the seventies, where it seemed like there were times that they would take a couple steps forward, then three steps back. You know, it's like, and that's because I. And again, you said this at the very beginning of the show; they were still trying to find their sound in a lot of ways, and there was a lot of different factors involved with the band members and production yeah, and such. This wasn't, yeah, this wasn't it. This wasn't their sound, but it was. Yeah. It, it, you know, it was just a, it was a very strange time to do an experimental album. But on the other hand, though, I mean, looking back on it, it was it was a necessity for them. I mean, yeah. It was certainly a certainly a, a, a thing that we look back on, and I can honestly say, you know, was was a good album and it was uh, you know good songs and you know, it, like I said, it got them fired from Atlantic. They were just they 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 cut them off right then. <laughs> Because there was one, you know, record companies want to make money. They don't want, they don't, and like you said, they spent a lot of money for that time on this album, and it didn't do well. And uh, didn't do well, and yeah, you know, so they moved on on from each other at that point. You know, yeah, and um, and you know, before we move on to the next album, I'll just say, you know, I think you know whether it's a musical act or a writer or any kind of artist, you 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 have to try different things to find out, you know, who you are artistically. So I think they they had to take those, you know, I don't like to use the word missteps, but you know, sort of like you know, experimental tries. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is the you know the way the record companies looked at it is you're doing this on our dime, and that's you know kind of exactly the way they the way they felt about it. I mean, we're you know we're grown we're kind of grown ups now, okay, and we see that. Okay, but when we were 22, how would we have felt? I mean, we would have yeah. thought that this was a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Yeah, and exactly. So, exactly. You know, and I mean, so even in the foolishness of it all, it meant something to them. And, yeah. And, you know, we would have we would have probably done the same thing. You know. Yeah. We're talking about this album 49 years later. So, I mean, it's uh, right. and we're talking very favorably about it. So they did not uh, you they know, dated. mess they up. They did there. well. Yeah. They did well. 
Yeah, yeah. Really and, and they kept moving forward after that. Their record label dropped them, but then things started turning in a really good direction with them. And this album may be, uh, it's popular particularly for one song, but I think it might be popular in a lot of ways for the album cover itself. The album cover, well, the album is called Daryl Hall and John Oates, and a lot of fans call it the Silver Album because it's silver on the cover. But Daryl Hall and John Oates, they are on the front of it, but they are so glammed up on there it's total like a look that you would see like bowie and others have back in that time period and a lot of people you know have made jokes about that over the years including daryl and john themselves uh i saw i think it was in uh, i've seen a couple of interviews with john where he has said that uh you know people might have made fun of it but it is probably our most talked about album cover so in a sure. lot of ways it succeeded because of what we sure. did on the cover right right and uh yeah. that one had uh, their first really big hit song on it, and that was Sarah Smile. That was their first uh, blockbuster hit. Happened by accident. I mean, uh, oh, is that right? Know, one, yeah, happened by accident. They, it was not. I don't know if it was going to be released as a single, but somebody, you know, all the all good things happen in Cleveland. Apparently, when it comes to these things, <laughs> um, somebody played it as an album cut, and before you know it, it was just everybody oh. was all over it. And it was one of those one of those songs that just blew up. The original hit of this song is one of my favorites, uh, "Camellia," which was supposed yeah. to be the was supposed to be the big hit off this song. And yeah, that was the first single release. Really, right? yeah, it's a really good John song. It is. And, it is. And great fact, opening track. It really is. And you know what? I I I John on Change of Seasons. Uh, there was a part of the show where the guys. Well, either went to the bathroom or whatever they were doing. Uh, left John out there to strum guitar and play by himself, which he was fine with. And he breaks out Camellia. Oh and, wow! Which was which? I mean, I, I, again, it was one of those moments. It was like, are you kidding? I, all these That's shows I've been so to, cool. I've never heard this right. But it was wonderful, and it was so, he was doing so good at that. And apparently, it's one of those John songs that apparently Daryl loves. Okay. Oh, cool. And and Daryl just with a drink in his hand, flew back on stage, grabbed the microphone and began to just sing it with him. He goes, I could not oh, nice. you one last time. He was like, Oh was wow. He loved, yeah. He loves that song apparently. And oh, that's so, so cool. That's, yeah. And, and there, and this was one of their true, real good harmonies uh, on the album mm -hmm. um, that they, you know, you really get the feel of what that harmonious kind of sound of theirs will be growing into in the future you know as their voices matured and what have you you get a real feel for it in camellia you know and yeah and that's one of the one of the beautiful things about it um chris bond takes over as producer for the first time right and uh you know which it's like i guess a, a, for all the clowns are running the circus sort of thing with chris bond <laughs> apparently he was a you know, he was a wizard. I mean, he was a good, wow. he was a musical uh, genius in many ways. I think he's still with us. And um, I believe he is. Yeah. 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 And he, uh, he, you know, uh, apparently uh, they were, they were very fond of his work in the beginning. I mean, they, they were very happy with what he was doing. Um, and, and a lot of people, a lot of other people, he's highly respected, uh, you know, for his craft. And, but he begins to assemble a little bit of a, a Steely Dan kind of thing with them where he begins to bring in musicians from all over the place because they're out in California. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're not, you know, they're not in their element and they're not really used to what's going on at the time. And Chris assembles, you know, a, a revolving tour kind of group of musicians that the guys aren't used to and they hadn't played with. And it just, you know, he brings, he brings in who he knows and, you know, and, and, you know, he begins to put out their work that way. And I think the guys were real pleased with that part of it where okay. they felt you know, really feel like that's where it began to drift a little bit on them from what they were trying to accomplish. Let me ask you something, Dave. Uh, now, I'm only a little bit familiar with, like, who played what on the early albums. I know he played guitar. Was he the lead guitarist with them, like, uh, for a while? Or I guess he was just a no, regular I, guitarist? I, I, don't think, I don't think he was lead, no. Oh, okay. Just, but well, he, he, yeah, was, he played with them and then ended up producing most yeah, of them. Yeah, and he ended yeah. up producing most of them. Uh, what are your favorites on this one? Uh, this is, you know, this is, it's funny. This is an album that I have not uh, listened to a whole, whole lot for whatever reason. I, I've got my favorites on it. Uh, Camellia is a great song. I like that yeah. a lot. And um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, you know what? I found out something interesting here. And I've always liked this song, Grounds for Separation, mm-hmm. uh, which is towards the end of the album. I just found out today that had been considered to be featured in the first Rocky movie. Really? It turns, yeah, it turned out that, and uh, assuming this information I read is correct, if not, I apologize, world. But apparently, yeah. John Oates had previously, before Hall and Oates, been connected with Frank Stallone, Sylvester Stallone's brother. They had uh, done some music together, and Frank was working on the, you know, the, the music for the first Rocky movie. He appears in there with his band at the time, Valentine, who I think Oates might have done some work with. And they sing a song like around a trash can outside. I don't know if you remember in Rocky. There's something yes. Take It Back. Yeah, yeah. the old Acabella uh, thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, yeah. though, Grounds for Separation was going to be in the movie, but then the movie got delayed. Uh, the production kept getting delayed, so Hall & Oates pulled it from the from being featured in there. But that, that would have been kind of neat okay. if they had a song in the that first Rocky movie. Yeah. And you know what? It may have, you know, who knows what it would have all done to the... Uh, for the course of their history at that point yeah. you know it may have done you know changed things a little bit may have speeded things along or, or wrecked them for all we know but who knows yeah um, i like alone too long too that's a good song alone too long is a great song yeah yeah um and you another know story actually... is uh gino the manager <laughs> and that's tommy and, yeah, uh, and, that's tommy but that's based and on that's tommy, tommy that's based on tommy yes he mm. that's that this is about him this is their this is their their little pseudo bio for their Tommy. And um, he, uh, you know, hard work means, I, I guess these were all little things he used to throw at them, you know, live oh, fast, okay. laughing, you know, hard work means something <laughs> he used to say that. And they turned it into a song and, uh, you know, they, they, you know, did it. And again, outside of, outside of the Hall and Oates world, that song doesn't, doesn't translate well, but, you know, but to yeah. us, you know, it has, it has some serious value. Um, Soderin. Soldering is a great little, little catchy Jamaican song. And it is, yeah. And yeah. that was uh, not 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 one that they not wrote theirs, themselves, right? Not theirs, right? You can go ahead. I think you you know probably more no, about no, this. No, no, no. You you, oh, okay. you hit it up just yeah. You hit it right on the head. It wasn't their it wasn't their song, but it was a good little you know yeah. catchy thing to end the end the album, which is which is great. And um, I, they seem to have a tendency to do that back then, in particular, where they ended their albums with so, maybe songs that were a little bit different than the rest you know and that one definitely fell into that category but it was a fun without, it yeah, was a cool without, song to without. end with yeah do you have is there anything on here you don't like i mean i you know. uh, oh you know what no this is something i never know how to pronounce this um 
How do you on say the way on the mountain? How do you say the first word? A I've always thought of it as Anway. Yeah, I, I think you think might be right. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, I what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a good song, but you know what's funny is yeah. do you play Wordle, the game Wordle? Uh, you know I have not, but my wife does. Okay. Well, I play it. My wife and I play it every morning, and you know. Yeah. And you have to, you know, guess a word. You, you guess letters to form a word. And one morning, about a month ago, that was the word. It was the it was the oh, it was the really? wordle word. And my wife is like, I've never heard that word before. And I'm like, honey, the yeah. only reason that I know it is because it's on a Daryl Hall and John Oates album from 1975. <laughs> like right. that was. It's not one you hear every day. Whoa. And again, <laughs> we're. Uh, it's funny you bring up 1975. We're talking ten months after War Baby. So all of this, ha they they get yeah. they, they get. They get cut from from Atlantic, okay? They move on to RCA. This is their mm -hmm. first RCA. They move on yeah. to RCA, and within a matter of a few months, there's another album ready to go. Yeah, which is amazing. But yes, on way on way on the map. That's what I always I look. I think up you're right. The actual way to say that word, but. I, you know. <laughs> Whatever. I think I, I'm with you. I'm gonna. That's how I'm okay. gonna say. On way on the mountain. And, oh, another and, thing and, I learned. Oh, go, go ahead, Dave. Uh, well, go ahead. What are you saying? No, I was going to say another thing I learned here. I had mentioned Alone Too Long. I didn't realize this, but apparently it was used as a theme song on a HBO comedy series in the past decade. Uh, it was this show called Hello, Ladies. Uh, it came out in 2013, and it starred an um, uh, actor named Stephen Merchant. And okay. I've heard of it, and I think my wife had actually uh, seen it years ago and raved about it, but apparently that was the theme song for that. So, hey, more money in uh, H&O's pocket, so yay sure. to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, any few cents that goes their way, I'm sure they're fleeced yeah. with you. Know? That's great. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Is is a is an interesting tune too because Sarah actually this is one of the first songs I guess she ever contributes anything to. That's Sarah Allen and, for those who don't know. And, yeah, Sarah Allen generals. Yeah, yeah, and she's also the uh, the the um, um, what would be a good word for a muse of Las Vegas turnaround. Yeah, yeah um, that's right. Yeah, um, but. She is actually, they're, they're, I guess, downstairs at the house or what have you, and they're trying to write a song and they can't, they can't get to the, get to the end of it or figure out what to, what to say. And apparently she opens up the cellar door and she screams down and she goes, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Right? <laughs> really? Oh, that's and, awesome. And, and, that she, just... and, and that, and the guys are like, light bulb. Okay. You know, now <laughs> that becomes the chorus of the song. And it was like, they, they just went with it. And, and, you know, oh, that's awesome. She, said she was getting, she was getting so frustrated with listening to them play that same tune over and over again all day long. And she, and she said that it sounded, it was getting sounding worse each time. And she was just, she, she, she ended up writing a lot of songs with them. I'm sure. Songs. Yeah. 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 And uh, um, yeah, so th that's a great album. I, and again, I, I'm glad that's something that I rediscovered recently because when I initially bought that back in the late 90s, it was probably at a period where I bought maybe three or four other H&O albums at the same time. And for whatever mm -hmm. reason, that kind of got pushed aside and I was focusing on the other ones, kind of almost forgot it was there to a degree. But yeah, uh, but, but yeah it's got a, it really, it's another one. There, there's really not bad songs on it. it it's, it's a solid album. Solid album. I mean, you know, it was a good start with, RCA, they were pleased to get a, a big hit out of it. Yeah, and uh, the crazy thing was, Atlantic was pleased for that they got a big hit out of it because then 
Atlantic yeah. had now some way to start making some of their money back from the losses of the previous. <laughs> exactly. Because, like we said, that because, album was a hit. Yeah. Sarah Smile was a hit. So Atlantic yeah. decides to, was it then that they released um, the um, compilation? Or they might have just released that... Sarah's, I mean, sorry, She's Gone as a single then. They released She's Gone as a single, but it doesn't wind up on their on the compilation album right yeah you know, but they not. do well part of part of the reason why that things have gone so well is also Tavares had a hit with she's gone and yes, that's right um, so the the song was already out there um and Tavares had made had made everybody uh you know aware of the song and, and it became a popular you know uh mid-70s you know uh underground classic of theirs and you know, if you listen to it, it's, it's really quite good. It and, is, yeah. And um, so, releasing it again was kind of. And now that they had a hit of their own, releasing the song again was a no-brainer. I mean, it yeah. was it was really a good opportunity for them. But that's not what happens next. What happens next is they actually what less than or just about a year later make another album. Yeah, and that oh. was bigger than both of us. Um, that came out. It was uh, produced by Christopher Bond again. That came out in '76. Yep. That yep. is one of my favorites of them. It's from the '70s in particular. That's one of my favorite yeah. albums. It's got a lot of good songs on it. Yeah, it really does. I, I mean, you know, uh, and you know, it's it's a very it's a very intentional album. It's like it's one of those albums where I think they 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 made songs that they wanted to be a little more radio friendly. They wanted mm -hmm. to be, and you know, we're they, you know, you and me, we're raised on radio. That's a real yeah. thing, you know. And they they made radio friendly songs at the time there were songs you could actually you know try to put out and, and be commercial with it and that's okay you know commercials got its place yeah and and yeah these are these are some pretty good songs on here i mean um you know obviously there's the you know the hit rich girl which yeah. uh, a lot of people don't know is about a about a guy um oh i didn't and... know that it's about a guy no way no i didn't know that Oh, okay. Well, Rich Girl is about a guy. Um, oh, wow. It's about a it's about a trust fund guy, okay, who is a friend of Sarah's, okay. And uh -huh. uh, I don't know if Sarah was a little jealous of him or whatever. I guess she talked about him, talked about him, but the guy was kind of always blowing through the end of his blowing through the end of his uh, of his allowance, and um, <laughs> so he was always going back to dad. And so he wrote a song about it. And then when they wow. uh, brought it in the studio, they were like, you know, this isn't going to sell well as a guy. Okay. <laughs> you got to, you, you know, you got to, you got to turn this into an it girl somehow. Right. And so he said, all right. So they flipped it around and made it a girl. And for, you I know, had no it, idea. Like, yes. Yes. That's a, that's a true story. That is so um, cool. And that is probably, I can't, you know, confirm this for sure because I was ten years old when the album came out. I'm pretty sure that was probably the first Daryl Hall and John Oates song that I knew because I was ten years old then, and that's when I was really getting into listening to Top Forty Radio, and that was a big hit. And for me and kids that I grew up with, I remember us all just thinking it was so cool because they 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 said a curse word in there, they said a naughty word in there because it was yes, you know right. you, you hear you hear bitch girl in there. Sorry, sorry, listeners, but you know you hear that. And, well, and, I'll see you too. <laughs> 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 but but it's like oh did they just say that wow you yeah. know, it, I mean, it's naughty I kid, it's great yeah. i love I, it yeah i remember when i remember we went to we went to uh, uh movies back then and we heard you know you went to a movie where there was one or two swear words in it that was it you were, you were <laughs> the block that week. I yeah mean, you, i mean i sat through three and a half 
bloody hours of Gone with the Wind just to hear the word damn at the end of it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is roughly around the same time that this album came out, I remember having same, the same kind of feelings about the Bad News Bears movies because I was hearing yeah, kids, you, you know, curse just a little bit in cursing. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But and, so, yeah, uh, that was a monster hit for him from this album. It wasn't the only single, but it was the most successful. No, uh, but you know, Back the Together Again about, was also a single. I'm sorry, go ahead. But the only amazing thing about Rich Girl is it's not a long song. I mean, no. I, I don't even think it's a, th- I don't see the time on it, but I, I don't even think it's a three minute song. I mean, it's, it's not. It's, I got it here. It's 224. It's a really okay. short song. It's a yeah. short song. And I mean, they, they really go right go right through it and i mean yeah. it's, and but you know what radio loved that i mean oh that absolutely the, yeah yeah radio loved that they, the shorter your song was the better because they wanted to cram in as many songs into an hour as they could possibly do on a typical day and so if you're making a song if everybody made 224 songs they'd be in heaven i mean that was you know that was the way way it went and yeah. i'm sure that that was a big big reason why this was this was a hit on radio and got a lot of play yeah yeah. And it's such a great song. That song really holds up. My uh, my wife and I listen a lot to. Um, we have Sirius XM, so we listen to. Be, mm-hmm. Well, it's, it wouldn't be her first choice, but I would play the '70s station on there a lot, and like the different things like that, the oldies. And uh, we hear we we hear that probably at least once every couple of weeks. And she's a little younger than me. She was born in the early yeah. '80s, but she loves yeah, that yeah. song. She loves hearing yeah. this, this stuff. You know, it, it really holds up. Too. Yeah. Most younger people do love that song. That's a that's a yeah. popular song amongst younger people. I mean, you know, when they hear that as a Hall and Oates old classic of some sort, that catches that's that catches with them. They yeah. it doesn't doesn't miss them. Believe me. Absolutely, and, good, good, good music can last forever, and there's so much good music on this one. Uh, this you one. said, of course, that was a hit. Uh, another one that uh, there were multiple singles released from this. Mm-hmm. Back together mm-hmm. again was uh, the opening together, track. Again. That's a good John Oates song. I think it's one of my song. favorite yep. John does. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and do what uh, you want be what you are is a good melding of their vocals through it. It's yes. I, I think it's yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, um, you know, way that they they started to really play off their play off their harmonies and whatnot, which was really quite good. Uh, my favorite on here, though, by far, is still "Room to Breathe," um, yeah. and it's a rocking kind of song. It's not really, uh, you know, it's not really a, a, a you know a pop or a soul song. It's actually kind of them rocking out a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and I think this is where we meet Charlie, where he comes yes. by, yeah, where he pretty comes sure in, this is the album um, that he joined him on. Yeah, yeah. Charlie and, DeChant, uh, for those who don't yeah, know. Plays, yeah, plays saxophone and be, is still uh with him, with uh Daryl and John uh, to this yeah, day. I, think I just read he's seventy eight now, I think, but he's still out there still working and gigging and fantastic performer. Doesn't run through the audience as much as he used to, but you know he, he's still he's still out there, uh, you know, blowing the horn. I mean, he's he's, yeah. he's amazing, and yeah, and that's where um, he's the longest longest serving member of the band. Which yeah, uh, and he was actually the first one of the classic lineup. Yeah, he uh, was came in the eighties, and yet he's still you know with them today, which is incredible. I, that is incredible, and uh, yeah, it's it's a good solid album, and. Uh, what it did you think after- of Crazy Eyes? Now, actually, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna comment on that. That's one of my favorites on it. Yeah. Do you not, yeah. Do you not like that one, or do you like? Uh, I like, I like Crazy Eyes with the John, a good John. Uh, you know. You I know. think that that would have been a good choice for a single. I think that might have even done better too. than some of the other ones. Uh, I do. Too. I still, I get that. I, that's a song that I can't play it without it being stuck in my head for hours afterward. And I'm okay with that. You know, it's such yeah, a good yeah. song. The harmonies in that are great. The music yep. is nice. It's uh, 
good song. Sometimes, sometimes I think just the, a lot of what went wrong was the choice of singles. I mean, sometimes was not the yeah. greatest. And I mean, I think then I think a lot of that too started becoming, especially maybe right about here, where where Tommy was starting to favor Daryl maybe just a little bit, mm-hmm. and you know, and you could start to see. The relationship of everybody because every time they tried to put out a john song it it may have been a really good song but maybe it didn't have that commerciality to it all the time right. that it didn't have the success that they that you know even though it was very always a pretty radio friendly song and what have you it didn't always have that lasting commercial success that you know that some of some of the daryl songs may have had and so i kind of think that this is where the, the favoritism with Tommy to Daryl began to maybe take hold. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And that's such a common thing too with bands, you know, and uh, uh, one thing, they're they're a much, much different kind of act, but I think of the Bangles. You know, the Bangles, each one of them sang songs and wrote songs on the albums, and the hits all came with Susanna Hoffs on lead vocals, and you you saw that favoring with what the record company released and the management released, and it ended up causing that group to break up for a long time. What the videos looked like and everything, they were all very Susanna, they were all very Susanna highlighted, I mean, they were... They were all, everything was about her. They put her front and center to everything. And, you know, it was a very talented band all the way through. And, um, you know. Favoritism happens in all kinds of acts, I get. It does. It does. Yeah. Uh, you could you could even say the same thing about Simon and Garfunkel. He saw Paul Simon might have written all the songs, but, uh, you know, the Artie Garfunkel-led songs, you know, weren't. Right. They may not yeah. always have done as well, but where would the art, you know, art is an absolute necessity. And I mean, yeah, absolutely. Know, and, you know, I call him Artie yeah, like um, he's my pal. Yeah, the Artie Garfunkel. You got you, you to give it the New York vibe, Artie, like he always said, Artie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i like that album a lot and that was yeah, it, it was a big hit for him and it was after that 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 compilation album i think came out that no you goodbyes talked about comes out now atlantic puts out no goodbyes yeah yeah um trying to you know they they put together put together you know songs from the first three albums and i guess there were a couple songs that didn't make it on there that um that uh well, it's uncanny was one of them, which which actually is a hit song. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, that 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 became a hit. Uh, there was there was two other songs I know that I guess had not been released, and they came out on other compilations later. Um, it yeah. can't stop. I, I'm sorry. Uh, Love you like a brother was one, and another one called I want to know you for a long time. And the others were you know the hits like she's gone, but then you had stuff like Lily, are you happy, which we talked about, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. seventy scenario, and it's a good compilation. I, I think uh, I don't know how well it actually ended up doing for atlantic but it, it made them some more money you know the songs had just made them a few more there. dollars helped them yeah. push she's gone a little bit more through i guess you know they, yeah. they you know they i'm sure i'm sure in the business end of all the notes which you know we we've talked about before um you know i i think it went a, i think it went a long way to uh to solidify their, you know that, that they weren't they didn't have they didn't leave any they didn't leave any uh you know uh bad feelings and maybe that's yeah. no goodbyes to how that so yeah. Yeah. yeah and i i think though i well i don't know this for sure i, I just have, have kind of wondered about this we talked about how they took some steps forward and then it seemed like they almost immediately took some steps back whether it was through what they did or just the way it worked out with what the record buying 
people were or were not doing. But the next album was not as popular. That was Beauty yeah. on a Backstreet. And I, what yeah. I was going to say is I wonder if that may have been at least in small part because No Goodbyes had just been released. And maybe people were thinking, oh, well, we already had a Hall & Oates album here. and We already knew a new song. You never... Yeah, I, I mean, know. you don't know what people were thinking in yeah. 76, 77. It's hard to say, but... I was thinking you know, I just wanted but, to, you know, go outside and ride my skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was, yeah, you know, I, although me and my little brother were probably thinking somewhere along these lines, but who knows? But <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless, I mean, this isn't really a good album. I mean, it's... It's, uh, it's, it's probably my least favorite. <laughs> yeah, and it's their least favorite. Um, you know, Oh, they, is that right? Not, yeah. Yeah, it's their least favorite. Um, they they have absolutely very little use for this. But, you know, there are good songs on here. The Emptiness is a good song. Um, funny that the song Bigger Than Both of Us is on this album. But I know. And an out previous, that, that never made any sense to me. I'm sure that confused <laughs> no. people along the way. Um, these are just, I mean, Don't Change is a, is a good song. Could, could yeah. you know, could have been, you know, a hit in another album, I guess, that maybe had some better better support but who knows um you must be good for something's a good song uh, yeah that's a good one but, and yeah but yeah, the rest of these songs are are you know throw a lot of throwaway stuff I yeah they... i could put it on and i it's an album that i probably most enjoy if i if i'm doing other things in my home and it's playing in the background i'm like oh yeah that's not a bad song that's not a bad song All right. you mentioned yeah. the emptiness and the emptiness i have a love-hate relationship with that that's yeah, that's yeah. a song where i don't know it sounds so dramatic you know because yeah, you know john is i don't want to get sued here but he's like the emptiness inside me oh the <laughs> emptiness inside <laughs> me it's over and over again yeah. And, and I, I get that. I listen to that. I'm like, oh boy, he's really like, you know, laying it on heavy there. But then, damn it, it's stuck in my head for the rest of the day. And then I want to go play the be. song again. <laughs> it will be. And and but this is where the deterioration of, Sorry, of John, the relationship with Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you won't put your lawyer's name on the bottom of the screen. You can't. Uh, but uh, but uh, this is where the relationship with Chris Bond uh, deteriorates. Oh, um, okay. I was going to yeah, ask you why and, that happened. Yeah, that deteriorates here. Um, and they decided that, you know, they really didn't like the whole revolving door plan of musicians coming in and out, and they would prefer to have put together a band. So they did select a few people and what have you who were with this because the next album is a live album um, mm -hmm. and, and that uh, Lifetime, which is as far as live albums go, if you, you know, if you. It's first of all the sound quality of it. If did you ever own it, the sound quality. I didn't own it. I've just listened to it actually this past week for the first time. While I was, yeah. I knew that we were going to be talking. It's yeah. you know not fantastic. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And, and for for somebody like me, and I know somebody like you who enjoyed them live. Okay, mm -hmm. you know, you listen to this and you, you you think back to those old videos of Music Laden and you know uh, the Whistle Test and all those this mm -hmm. out those videos that you see back in the day you know you look at this and you say yeah you 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 think you would get that feeling from it but you don't and and it it's 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 just not a well made you know they no. must have picked the two worst shows they did to put this together yeah, it was um, recorded in uh actually a place that I used to go actually on school trips every year Hershey Park PA oh, that's really? where it was recorded yeah, yeah. and it um, was over two nights right it was over two I believe two show shows, yeah. yeah yeah it was and uh and that Hershey Park is not far from Pottstown, where Daryl Hall grew up. Where Daryl Hall grew up, right. Yeah. And actually, and, I had read this. Uh, 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, at the no, end of Sarah's, they do like an eight-minute version of Sarah Smile on here, which Smile. Sarah Smile is a great song, but I don't know if the world needed an eight-minute version of that. Well, <laughs> well, if you ever went to shows on the Voices tour in Private I did Eyes, not, unfortunately. Tour, okay, you get eight minutes of Sarah. And, oh, okay. Okay, you, you not only get eight minutes of Sarah, but I... Well, it, For the audio is, listeners, Dave is rolling his eyes there. <laughs> It's okay, and it becomes, you know, and we get to another song that's down the road um, that it kind of one leads into the other, and it's very, very dramatic, but we will get to that. Um, <laughs> that's later on. That's later on. But the live album to me is, I mean, it's it, it was all songs we liked, but they just yeah. weren't the best versions of them as far as I'm concerned. No, um, yeah, I don't know if the song selection was the best either. Like you had the emptiness on there, and I know that they were just touring, you know, off of that album that, that, that album, came from. Right. Yeah, right. but uh, probably the one that I liked the most on there was uh, "Do What You Want, Be What You Are." The live version, because the way Daryl got into it, it was kind of cool. It kind of reminded me of the live version of uh, "Wait for Me" that ended up on the Rock and Soul album in the '80s, where you know you heard you know Daryl's the greatness that Daryl can sound like in a live show. I, I think that that was probably the best example of it on this album, but it's probably not an album I'm going to ever spend too no. much time on. I mean, that's, uh, the, the live version on that one of Do What You Want, Be What You Are is very Motown. I mean, it has yeah. a very Motown feel yeah. to that. I mean, he he really, you know, you could you could feel his influence with, you know, Smokey and, and you know, The Temptations and the whole bit that he, that he talks about at, at, at length for years. You know, it it comes through it comes through in droves uh, on that song, yeah. um, especially on that live version. But short of that, it's not the best version of Rich Girl. It's not the best version yeah. of you know, like you said, Eight Minutes of Sarah is more than enough. Um, I, it's not even John's best version of I'm Just a Kid, and I mean, I, I you know, it's just not you know, Room to Breathe finishes it up. It's one of my favorite songs, but even the the abandoned luncheonette on there is very calculated and not, yeah. I was I was looking forward to hearing that when I saw it was on, on there, but I'm like, oh, I'm a little disappointed in that. You know, it's just uh, it's an underwhelming live album. They've got oh, better live albums that came later. Very underwhelming. That came later on down the road. So, yeah. And, uh, well, let's go to their next studio album, and that is one that I know. Even one of the first things that you and I ever talked about probably was this album because it's it's one of I know it's one of my favorites, and that is along the red ledge from 1978. I remember when this came out because I remember loving the first single from this, It's a Laugh, which was a hit, which was a mild hit. You know, it's not one that uh, shows up on all of their greatest hits compilations, but it, it did well for them. And uh, I, I love Along the Red Ledge. Me, me too. Along the Red Ledge is an underrated album. I mean, it's one that doesn't get enough talk about. Doesn't no, get enough. Doesn't. You know, I, they... This is a this is an extremely underrated album. David Foster takes over production, and you can yeah. see you can feel the it's a much more positive feel to it. Um, they're starting to get a band together that they're comfortable with a little mm -hmm. more so. Um, the you know the production quality is definitely taking a turn for the better. Um, they these are good songs. They're well you know well manufactured, well arranged. I mean, just just you could tell David Foster's arrangements are on these songs. Um, George Harrison plays on this, right? I he, just found that out today. 
I yeah, never knew um, that until today. He okay, plays on uh, the last time. He plays guitar. The on last that. time, yes, yes. Yeah. He's on. Yeah, he's on that. It, and it's not a long song, but he plays. Yeah, you know, yeah he plays. Uh, um, he plays on that. You know, John had met him car racing because George had gotten into Formula oh. One. Oh, John. Oh, cool. Been, yeah, yeah, and that's how. We, and then he said, "Could you, you know." And he was like, you know, I approached George Harrison about playing guitar on, you know, and he just said, you know, he said, where are you guys, you know, where are you guys uh, um, recording? And he told him where he goes, oh, you mind if I stop by? And George invited himself. <laughs> and he's like, George, George Harrison's coming, right? And <laughs> oh, then, that's so awesome. And then, and then I guess apparently he was so, so kind to them, so uh, unassuming, like George always wow. apparently was. And you know, and he played his part and what have you. And he said, is that good enough? And, you know, they were like, yeah, great. And he wow. Went, okay, thanks. Never asked for a nickel. Um, oh, oh, wow. And, that yeah, is awesome. That was, yeah, there was a lot That's of- That's really cool. I've um, heard a lot of nice he... stories about George Harrison in that regard. Uh, yeah. I know I recently found out he played on a big hit that Belinda Carlisle had had in the 80s or 90s. I think it was the Leave a Light All On. People. Yeah, yeah and, people, and he just right? he liked play. He loved playing. He, you know, he would yeah. go off and do different things, and yeah, he didn't care. He yeah. just he wanted to play someplace. You know, which yeah, was exactly. Which was great. I and, love, uh, like you August say, David Day. Foster produced. I'm sorry, go ahead. Produced this. Oh no, go ahead. I mean, I love August Day. It's my favorite. Yeah, that's a great song. Way. Yeah, um, but yeah, you said David Fo David Foster produced it, and you could, you know, you could tell that they're now ready to be hit makers when David Foster shows up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you, you know, the songs are going to get heard. They're going to get, um, you know, they're going to get uh, made well. And they're, you know, somebody, somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna, uh, somebody's gonna play them someplace. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and that's how I think it's a laugh really started to show them up. I don't want to lose you is a good catchy song. Um, it is. It's a really good song. That was released as a single too. It wasn't a big blockbuster hit, but it was. It was a good song that Daryl and John wrote together. None of them were, but they, you know, they said, yeah, none of them were really. But yeah. August Day reminds me a lot of the earlier stuff. It's very, you know, it's very, you know, a little primitive and it's a little, you know, introspective and what have you. Kind of has a. a Lily and Laughing Boy kind of vibe to it. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see myself in 1978 at 15 years old out in the backyard, all, you know, my feet all dirty on an August, hot August day and just remember this one, you know, it, yeah. it kind of just feels that, has that, that feel to it. And yeah, I, you know, I'm very fond of that. Song. It's a good song. Yeah, there's so many. Oh gosh, there's so many. Good, uh, have I been away too long? I love uh, Melody for a Memory. I love the harmonies. Between it's a John, good one. John and Daryl. A yeah. wonderful harmony. That's a good choice, buddy. Yeah. We were talking about I Don't Want to Lose You. Is that the one that there's one on here? I'm probably going to sound like a dummy if you don't know what I'm talking about. There's one where the beginning of it sounds a lot like uh, Say Goodbye to Hollywood. Um, what well, has that piano-ish kind of yeah, yeah almost like the be my baby and yeah, that kind of similar yeah, beginning it, it does. And, yeah it does, and yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying anybody's ripping anybody off there but i'm just thinking no, it's just no, a, no. a good solid song that solid uh, song yeah, yeah it's got this classic it's, it's, classic feel to it. it really yeah is. it is there's it's a lot catchy. of good songs in there um <laughs> i don't know if you remember this there was one song that we used to talk about in the uh h&o group that we belong to the yahoo group that people uh a lot of people said that this was their least favorite song on the album it was pleasure beach that's a john oates uh -huh. song yeah. and uh it, it's it's a fun remember, song I I, it's it's kind of it it's, 
it's kind of different than a lot of the other stuff. And John does that a lot. Or, you know, where, uh, John, I love John. I'm not knocking John in any way, but John will do things that uh, maybe don't necessarily sound like they fit in with everything else on the album. Italian Much like girls, Africa. Girls, did, yeah, okay. Was, I mean, yeah. Africa, Italian girls, you know, these, yeah. these songs that come out of possession obsession. I mean, yeah. so these songs that come out of nowhere with them yeah. um, that are really good sauce standalone songs, but they just, uh, yeah, you know, don't necessarily. You, that's not really fit in the. But apparently, Daryl uh, loved Italian girls, but and that was one of his favorites, I guess, and he did it. But uh, you know, they. they I, I always thought that should have been a single, but maybe if we do a sequel, it to was in Canada. The, oh, it was. It was in okay. Canada. Yeah, it was in Canada. People, yeah. people who don't know, Italian girls was on the H two O album. H two O album. Yeah, which is down the road. Down the yeah, road. Yeah, well, let's do a we'll do a sequel. To let's that finish. Let's finish too. the seven. Let's finish. Yeah, let's the finish seven. this one. Okay, so so we were on their seventh album from the seventies, and that is "Along the Red Ledge" from seventy eight. One of my favorites. If if you folks aren't familiar with it, I I encourage you to check it out. There's really yeah, that's really really no really bad songs on it. Yeah, um, a lot well, of good really tracks. Good. Have I been away too long? Daryl's vocals on that are just awesome. Phenomenal. Yeah, that, it's it's really it's really by far their their most uh, unappreciated unappreciated album yeah and, and you know you mentioned the involvement of david foster where you think that that's going to bring them to maybe even new heights of fame and yeah it's a laugh got some airplay but it wasn't like the biggest smash hit album and didn't have multiple hit singles i i agree with what you said earlier i i think this should have been a more popular album than it was and yeah. this was not the last thing they recorded with david foster the last album no. That they did in the 70s uh, was with him that was in 1979 uh and that was the ecstatic album which uh uh it's not one of my favorites i like some things on it but uh okay. what, what do you think of the ecstatic album? we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna differ a little bit here um yeah? okay yeah yeah we're gonna differ a little bit here the the only thing that the timing of ecstatic is poor um that mm -hmm. that seems to be the the thing about it uh they're a little late the dance party okay yes. and when they yeah. and, you know you're you're right about it 1979 where the dance party is starting to wrap up a little bit mm -hmm. and if they you know this was an album they probably if they were gonna put it out probably should have been in place of, of beauty on a back street yeah. um but, you know yeah it would have done you better know, probably in 77 or so 77 or something because yeah. it was very it was very danceable song and danceable music i mean all the songs on here i like i like i like all the songs um the thing about it was was that the influence of david they, there was a little bit of, first of all they moved east they started recording in new york um, oh okay which, okay and they took they took the band with them david david foster produced and and foster though i guess there was some tension uh he he wanted, uh, you know, because he, he, he had gotten in by that point really deep with Earth, Wind, and Fire a little bit, and oh, he okay. thought that he thought that Daryl and John could could be a white version of you know Earth, Wind, mm -hmm. and Fire. Okay, and he felt I that could see that they've got the soulful sound. Very yeah, very much. And I mean, so they he he tried to take it down that road, but he also was repping them because rca and them and what have you were starting to say listen you know we're not children anymore i mean we could we could be producing ourselves and whatnot and you know foster just kind of said you know yeah you got you know you're not wrong i mean you guys are you know you guys are are, are able and you know you're mm -hmm. not you're not idiots and you know he he really he really kind of laid that you know he was there to supervise but i don't think he was there to run the show eventually right. 
but the songs were written. They're danceable. They're I I like the songs. I I think that I think all of them are pretty good. I I you know I'm I'm I got a partiality to, to a lot of them. I mean, um, I feel you know I, I love Intervino, which was which was one of my one of my favorites. Uh, Who said the world was fair? Yeah, that's um, I... is, a, is is a good song. Um, Portable radio is very you know very electric, very vibey. You know, I, I wait for me is a good song. Woman comes and goes is a good is a good tune. Um, all you want, uh, there's really no bad ones. I mean, yeah. in my opinion, I like them. I mean, they're 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 good. They're good songs that you know they, you know they they would have they would have served them better out another time. I think you're right, and I think uh, you know I didn't want to give the impression when I initially said that it's not one of my favorites that I that I hate it or anything. I, I agree with you. Oh, I think the majority of the songs on it are really good. This is another one too that like <laughs> <laughs> But uh it, it's actually one that um I really didn't pay a whole whole lot of attention to until maybe the last two or three years. And then I found myself listening to it more and I don't I don't know why. I don't know if it was maybe just because I was so wrapped up in a maybe their eighty stuff then that, you know, I heard something like Portable I remember really not liking Portable Radio the first time I heard it, but now I like it a lot. That's a good song. And I think that could yeah. have been a popular song. That one that one, like you said, may have been better served if it had been released a little bit earlier. You could see totally it played disco, it like Studio fifty four or you know, uh uh, in the yeah. day, you know what I mean. It would it would have would have it would have done really well in, yeah. in an earlier, you know, before if, uh, you know before uh, uh, Rubel and Schrader went to jail. I think it would have it would have done a whole lot better, <laughs> you know. Um, and I remember but, he hearing that before, thinking, you know, if MTV had been around a few years earlier, I could have seen a good video for that and song that song becoming a, a big big hit. It's a good song. And there's other, and like you said, "Wait for Me" is a great song. I. Um, I knew first the live version from Rock and Soul from from a little later on in the eighties. Um, okay. Before before I went back and bought the Ecstatic album and uh, yeah, now Wait for Me, great. yeah, and Wait for Me is a um, is the uh, second end of the Sarah Antics live. Okay, mm -hmm. where at the end of the eight. Or so minutes of Sarah live. They Daryl goes into this very dramatic thing towards Sarah in the middle of it there, and the band oh, is playing. Okay, and then especially in Voices and Private Eyes, there was an on the floor tantrum and yelling and screaming and the whole bit. Oh wow! At which time he pops up after about two minutes of this, pops up and bounces right to the piano and begins, "Wait for me," and. Oh. And this is why when you hear on Rock and Soul, um, the song starts with that very quick one note on the piano. Yeah, right. Okay? That's him jumping up and actually just hitting that first note. Oh, wow. It's very, it's very sudden. It's very, oh, how about it's that? Very quickly. Yeah. And if you ever watch the Rock and Soul video, the, the video because the, the whole entire concert is available um, on YouTube. Oh, okay. Uh, I've never seen that. Yeah, it, it's really good. And... Um, and you'll actually you could see the antics and um, that version that's on the rock and soul part one is the one taken oh, from, wow. from the video. So, okay. um, yeah, so it's the it's the exact same one. I'll have and, to look for that. Yeah. And you and you get a toned down version of the, the you know, the, the whole Sarah thing with uh, with Daryl. It's it's a little it's a little cut back just a bit. Um, from the voices in private eyes uh, era where he it was 
it, it seemed to go on forever. Whereas this wow. one was a little, a little more terrible. So, yeah, that's, uh, oh wow, that's really interesting. And what are some of your other favorites? You might have already covered them, but uh, you're yeah, running, I, mean, you know, I, I saw running. One thing that surprised me is I learned today that Running from Paradise actually did fairly well in the UK. It had made it up to number forty-one there. And yeah, that's, that's a it had success tune. elsewhere, which is which is good. Number one is a is a really good song. Uh, number one feels like it, it, it was a song that probably could have gone back to maybe seventy-five. Um, you know, a little earlier and everything, but all you want is heaven is the wonderful vocals, it, you know, very danceable kind of song. Um, you know, uh, bebop drops. Yeah. I guess if I had to take one that I really, and bebop drop and holophon are not yeah. really, are not really I, you know, two of my favorites from there, but you know, short of that, these are, these are good songs and they're good. They're, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, that the timing was everything, but it also began to, it was a good it was a good album for them in the sense that they were able to um push the envelope a yeah. little bit with with RCA and RCA was pushing back i mean they wanted they wanted some hits and you know uh yeah. you know eventually when you and i do the 80s one um you know that's what that's what transpires obviously but um but big that, this, is, this was the i'm sorry go ahead Oh no, you're right. This is a turning point. This is yeah. this is well, and you know what's a turning point for music because because you know uh, disco's dying out. You know, new wave is coming in. You know, uh, opera is changing. MTV comes out. You know, all this happens like all in a matter of two years, and you know, it's it it changes it changes yeah. them. It changes everything, and it's how uh, how things went. Yeah, and like you said, the production was going to change because this was the last with David Foster, and and this was yeah, also yeah. their first album with G. E. Smith, guitarist G. E. Smith. G. E. Smith who, is on there first time. Who, yeah, yeah, and he ended up being. And I don't know, maybe casual fans don't know this, but uh, G. E. Smith recorded on really their first, what I think are is probably one of the best run of albums ever by a musical act and it was the four albums that came next you had like just four just i think i think they were probably all platinum platinum selling albums starting with voices through big bamboom i think uh i think ge lasted through at least midway into the 80s ge was with them yeah maybe a GE, little bit longer. GE makes it ge makes it right to, i think right after the apollo and, and yeah yeah the live at the apollo album and he leaves but you know the the whole side the backing band of the early 80s um you know we're you know again we're getting ahead of ourselves but the backing band okay. of the 80s yeah is basically and I, I i would arguably say could have been a side band that could be considered for the rock and roll hall of fame I they agree. were that good they were that good they were that good i it's funny it i remember all this band yeah, I I, uh, I remember having even conversations in high school, like maybe after the Private Eyes album, saying that it's it's almost a shame that it's not the Hall and Oates band. You, you right. called called that because you had uh, mm -hmm. I know I'm going to geek out, but I don't care. It's my show. You had G E yeah. Smith on you had G E Smith on lead guitar. Mm -hmm. You had Tom T Bone Walk. Is that his last mm -hmm. name? W, mm -hmm. Yeah, on bass, mm -hmm. uh, Charlie Deschamps, we mentioned, on sax, and Mickey mm -hmm. Curry on drums. Mm -hmm. And, oh, man, you saw them. If you watch the music videos from back then, they were 
featured prominently in, in them. They were all like, uh, mm -hmm. they were all characters in their own right. Characters you know, very in all the videos. They're very much a part of things. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, they're... and when I would see the live shows from back then, uh, you know, on video or, uh, you know, seeing them once back then, uh, they were just all amazing. And, and the place they were the backing band too, at the live aid concert for like, uh, some of the acts, Tina, Tina and Mick Jagger, Tina yeah, and Mick Jagger. Yeah. And yep. just amazing. Yeah. And yes, we got ahead of ourselves, but but still, that was the a big turning point for them, you know, right after, well, with Ecstatic, but then a little bit past that. And uh, we covered some really good albums there, a lot of great music. We did, we did, we, we did good. Yeah, we, we did covered good. it all. Yeah. <laughs> we did. We got through the live one in there, the compilation album yeah. in there. Compilation album, everything. We didn't miss a trip. We didn't turn everything, we didn't, Mr. LeGates. Yeah. yeah. We didn't that turn was a lot of fun. Card we didn't turn over. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I hope you had a lot of fun listening to this, folks. And I, uh, I'm going to have a, I'm going to put together a special article I'm going to write for Medium, you know, kind of highlighting some of the songs that we talked about today, maybe, and make a playlist. So I'll have a link to that at the, on the notes for this on YouTube and other fine places like Spotify and Apple and all that. But anyway, Dave, I want to thank you for your time. It's Thanks been a blast talking with you. Me. This was great. It really we're, was. Very we're enjoyable. definitely going to have to do this again too. And well, I'm going to well. go into, uh, I, I love the stories that you shared. I didn't know so much of that stuff, especially about that producer that they had the, uh, falling uh, Christopher Bond. I, I don't know much yeah. about him. You know, I, I wonder what he, what happened with him after, Oh, no. So I'm going to look that up. He and had a pretty, I think he had a pretty successful career. You know, I didn't keep up with him, but he, he, he had a pretty successful career. He was, you know, he's a good, good studio man, you know? I yeah. those people, people respect One last him. thing I want to ask you is, um, yeah. did you ever read uh, John's book, Change of Seasons? Yes, yes, yeah. I did. I recommend that to people. Uh, John John Oates a few years ago wrote an autobiography called Change of Season, and it covers you know his early years before Hall and Oates, but also his time with the band, and uh, it's really good. You do see some really good insights. Uh, a lot of times, Daryl Hall is the one who gets maybe he maybe a little bit more attention because he's saying you know the majority of the the hits, but it's always been a partnership. It's always been a duo, and John is. Uh, you know, oh boy, you can't have Hall and Oates without John Oates. And I, I like a lot of his solo stuff too, but that's, a, that's another show too. <laughs> oh, song for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I highly recommend that book. Check it out, folks. And thank you for listening and watching Gotta Pop. Dave, thanks again for being here. Thanks, buddy, for having me. And everybody, I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care of yourselves. Have fun.